From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. All of us have been watching Russia's invasion of Ukraine with feelings of horror and sadness and helplessness. There have also been incredibly moving stories of the resilience and compassion of the Ukrainian people, who have been living under existential threat for years and years. It was my absolute privilege to speak with one of Ukraine's leading Catholic theologians last week. Pavlo Smitsnuk is the director of the Institute of Ecumenical Studies at the Ukrainian Catholic University in Lviv, a city in the western part of Ukraine. Pavlo has been in New York for a few months researching for a book, but his parents and his colleagues are still in Ukraine. He doesn't know when he'll be able to make it home. Now, in addition to his research, Pavlo wakes up early in the morning and spends hours on calls with his colleagues at the university and other faith leaders in Ukraine, helping to coordinate the faith community's response to the war. Pavlo is an expert on the religious makeup of Ukraine, which is one of the more religiously diverse countries in Europe. If you want to learn more about Ukraine, the religious landscape there is absolutely essential context. Pavlo is the son of a Ukrainian Greek Catholic priest, and he has also been deeply formed by the Jesuits. He got his bachelor's degree at the Gregorian University in Rome, and his doctorate at the University of Oxford's Campion Hall, which is run by the Jesuits. Pavlo is among the most impressive people I have ever met. He could have done an equally insightful interview in seven other languages besides English. His devotion to his faith and his country and his sharp intelligence all shine through our whole conversation. I have never been more honored to share an episode of AMDG. Please keep Pavlo and his family and friends in your prayers. And thanks for joining us. Well, Pavlo, welcome to AMDG. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. How are you doing? Thank you very much, uh, Mike. Um, so just in a, just tell me a little bit about, about these days uh, for you. Uh, what, what, are you what are you doing? Uh, I know you're researching in New York. And just maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. Yes, I work as a director of an ecumenical institute in Ukraine in Lviv, uh, which is not far from uh, the border with Poland. And the institute is part of uh, Ukrainian Catholic University. Uh, we are eight people at the institute. Uh, and of course, what we do is to uh, engage with other uh, religious communities in Ukraine, uh, mainly with the Orthodox, uh, who are the majority Christians in Ukraine, but also with uh, the Protestants. And uh, one of the uh, themes uh, our institute has been developing over the last years was also a humanism and peace building. So we had a series of projects uh, on peace building and uh, we studied foreign cases of peace building in the Balkans, uh, Polish German reconciliation, uh, Northern Ireland, uh, uh, and so on. So now all this uh, experience, which was uh, 
somehow practical because we had eight years of uh, a sort of frozen conflict in Donbas, which left uh, thousands victims, of course. But what has happened over last week is really something unbelievable and incredible uh, to which we haven't been prepared. Uh, so uh, both my colleagues in Lviv uh, and me, we try to coordinate work, to have meetings, uh, to uh, have the voice of Ukrainian churches heard abroad. Uh, sometimes our me meetings are interrupted you know, by uh, sirens when people uh, need to uh, go back down in, in the shelters. But still, we, we try to, to do as much as we can uh, to help uh, both our country and the churches in Ukraine. So you are in New York right now, um, but I'm sure, as you're saying, in touch every day with your colleagues and I'm sure others in Ukraine. What are you hearing uh, right now from your friends or, or family uh, who are there? People are afraid, but people are optimistic. Uh, people uh, pray more than they used uh, to do. They try to help each other. There are many uh, refugees in Western Ukraine that escape uh, the zones of Ukraine where the conflict is uh, more violent. So uh, both the Ukrainian Catholic University, Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, Caritas, which is uh, the biggest charity, uh, uh, Catholic charity in Ukraine, are trying to help the refugees, trying to uh, be uh, in solidarity with the Ukrainian army, uh, trying to uh, help uh, in any way they can uh, to those who suffer most. And where are you, are you from originally? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Ivano-Frankivsk, which is uh, not far from the Polish-Hungarian-Romanian uh, border. And it's actually uh, one of the cities that uh, uh, has been bombarded uh, the first uh, night of attack. Uh, my father is a, a Greek Catholic priest. Uh, he has been arrested for his like human rights position and for his links to the Greek Catholic Church in 1986. Uh, and uh, I was trying to convince my parents uh, to leave the country, uh, but they refused to do that. So I'm worried about them and of course about my colleagues and friends in, uh, in, uh, in other places of, uh, of Ukraine. I think a lot of us here uh, in North America are just learning more about Ukraine uh, in the past week and weeks. Um, what what are some things uh, you tell people? You're in New York now meeting people ab about Ukraine. How do you describe it, uh, your experience there? Um, what about it surprises people uh, about uh, Ukraine as a country? But uh, many people uh, in the U.S. know very little about Ukraine. So uh, I try also to explain to them uh, how the religious situation looks like and the religious situation is very complicated. We have uh, majority Orthodox, uh, we have a very vibrant Protestant, especially evangelical Pentecostal Baptist communities. Uh, we have um, two uh, rights of uh, the Catholic Church 
Greek Catholic, Eastern Catholic, and Roman Catholic uh, church. So uh, I think already this discovery uh, of, of, of religious pluralism in Ukraine is functioned uh, uh, very well uh, overall. Uh, I think it's also something that makes Ukraine more similar to the US than to many European countries. Yes, if you look at Russia, uh, Poland, Italy, Spain, uh, they would have one you know, uh, major religion and that's it. Uh, but uh, Ukraine, like the US, uh, is a country uh, with a lot of religious pluralism. And so how, how do you mention how the churches are connected? How have they been responding? What, I'm sure you, there have been different types of responses. So could you tell us a little bit about what you've been seeing from the, the various religious leaders uh, in Ukraine and their response in the past uh, week? So, as I told you, I uh, work in for Ecumenical Institute, and also uh, my studies, part of my studies, have been in, uh, in Orthodox countries, in, in, in Greece and Russia, so I have a lot of links to the Orthodox, uh, uh, Orthodox uh, clergy and laity. I uh, uh, did my PhD at Oxford at the Jesuit uh, uh, Campion Hall, uh, but I met a lot of Protestants there, those of the, from the Church of England and other churches. So I think one of the things uh, I'm trying to do also to reach out and to be in communication with uh, both Orthodox and Protestants in Ukraine and abroad. Uh, so what, in terms of what the churches are doing in Ukraine, I think they are, all of them, uh, without exception, are supporting as the people of Ukraine uh, in this uh, tragic attack by Russia. Uh, in the past, uh, the, the churches uh, somehow differed uh, uh, in terms of uh, their attitude toward Russia. For example, one of the biggest Orthodox churches in Ukraine is part of the Russian Orthodox Church. So they have been uh, historically very close to Russia. And now their position seems to be changing radically and they side, side with Ukrainian Orthodox, with Ukrainian Catholics and Protestants in condemning this, uh, this act of aggression. Uh, on a very practical level, the churches try to do whatever they can in order to help the refugees, uh, in order to help people who lost their homes, uh, in order to help people who try to uh, leave Ukraine and to go uh, to find a shelter in, in European countries. So uh, there is a, a huge work being done by Caritas, which is the Catholic charity, which has been already very much present in, in the central and eastern Ukraine. Um, uh, Protestant communities uh, uh, were very much uh, persecuted in the Donbas region. So they are probably the community that is most interested in moving their communities from various cities uh, uh, of Eastern uh, and Southern Ukraine to the West. And yesterday I spoke to the Ukrainian Lutheran Bishop who uh, evacuated with his community from uh, Kharkiv uh, to uh, Lutsk, uh, they're having some communities moving from Odessa to Western Ukraine. 
So I think uh, the churches are reacting both very practically, trying to help everybody who needs help. And thanks God, there has been a lot of solidarity and assistance from uh, uh, the US, uh, from Europe. Uh, we are in touch with the Kneva Foundation, who is providing a lot of help in Ukraine, but uh, many, many other, other uh, Western partners uh, are helping us. Uh, and of course, uh, last but not least, the churches are praying, uh, praying for peace uh, in the cities where you have uh, explosions uh, and warfare today. Uh, there was a curfew over last weekend, though people couldn't go to churches. So uh, the major bishop of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church to ask the clergy to go to the refugees, uh, not to the metro stations where people are sheltered, and to pray with them, to celebrate uh, mass there. Uh, so uh, it's a new moment in which churches need to discover their own new role uh, uh, to to live somehow this crisis as Christians. So there are masses being celebrated in the metro stations in the, the where people are taking shelter. Is that what? That this is, is my understanding. Yes, I've seen some pictures from uh, the masses being celebrated in the in the shelters. Sure, I'm curious about your your work in peace building and your situation, your place where you're, you're based and, and what you have learned from your study in peace building and um, the unique situation now, things that you've learned that you think will be, will be valuable uh, for the church communities uh, going forward in Ukraine. Thank you. I think that there are several moments there. I think that different conflicts uh, uh, teach us different things. Some wars, you know, would require neutrality from Christians. And I think in some cases, the Christians were wrong to support one party or another or engage in wars. Like when you look at the First World War, you know, I am, uh, and you read the declaration, the declarations of church leaders which were supporting of their own armies. This leaves me skeptical. When we go to the Second World War, it's already different. Eh? We see uh, what, uh, what evil yes, uh, Nazi Germany was, uh, how horrible were their crimes. Uh, you also see, we also see how horrible was the Soviet Russia during those times. Yes, however, uh, I think the support, uh, the moral support the churches gave to the victory over uh, Nazis was it's a very different situation from the First World War. When we look at Ukraine, you know, from Ukrainian perspective, from what uh, independent observers say, we are closer to the Second World War than to the First World War. I think that uh, Russian aggression on Ukraine wasn't provoked by Ukrainians. Ukrainians didn't invade Russia. So uh, I think there is a profound moral argument to say that uh, countries and churches should, should back, back, back Ukraine in this, in this horrible conflict. Uh, one of the issues I think of great importance 
is the question of nuclear uh, non-proliferation. Ukraine uh, in the 1990s uh, surrendered uh, its nuclear arsenal, which one, was one of the biggest in, uh, in the world, and signed the nuclear non-proliferation agreement, receiving uh, insurances from various parties that Ukrainian sovereignty will be respected. Today, uh, Pope Francis is very pronounced uh, in uh, saying that not only the usage, but also the possession of nuclear weapons is uh, ethically problematic. So I think when we look at Ukraine, who willingly uh, joined uh, yes, the non-nuclear nations, and when we leave Ukraine alone in this conflict, which is so asymmetrical, you know, with the biggest country in the world, with a uh, huge military potential. I think this requires an ethical uh, stand in support of Ukraine. Another thing that we can uh, learn from the conflicts in other countries is that we need to be careful with theological uh, narratives about wars, that Christians should not hate even if they are in the wars and the worst attack. Uh, we also learn that there will be one day that reconciliation uh, question will be raised. Uh, the wars end. And that's why I think that uh, our call as Christian communities in various countries should be to the Russian Orthodox Church, which so far hasn't condemned the uh, aggression of Russia. I think that uh, our Catholic and Protestant communities should call to Patriarch Kirill to condemn this war, because if they, this church doesn't disassociate themselves from what Russian state is doing in Ukraine, the reconciliation will be very complicated. If uh, they do dissociate and condemn the war as a lot of uh, now I see hundreds of Russian Orthodox priests have done. If the Russian church doesn't dissociate themselves from the war, uh, there will be a chance when this aggression will be blamed of, on all uh, Russian people, and then the reconciliation will be, will be very difficult. I'm curious, uh, for you who have studied uh, nationalism, religion, the role of churches in, within countries and patriotism. Uh, in a country like Ukraine, which is a relatively young democracy, uh, how you have seen the churches responding to that and, and growing and changing as the country has grown and changed and just what the role of the churches has been within a young democracy uh, like Ukraine. I think overall the church has played a very positive role uh, in uh, advancing uh, the democracy in Ukraine. Um, I would mention only uh, several instances of this. Um, first of all, uh, the Maidan revolution. Yes, we had uh, two huge uprisings in Ukraine in 2004 and 2014, yes, known usually as Maidan revolution. And both were uh, moments when 
thousands, millions of Ukrainians came out to protest in the squares against, in the first case, against the uh, electoral fraud. And in the second case, in 2014, against Ukrainian government uh, uh, refusing to sign an association agreement with European Union, which would have, uh, have contributed to the building of democracy in Ukraine. So in both cases, Ukrainian churches supported those uprisings. They said uh, Ukrainian people want to fight corruption. They want to integrate in Euro-Atlantic Euro institutions. Uh, they want to build a democratic state. Uh, we want to be with Europe. We don't want to follow the Russian authoritarian trends. I think in this way, churches were, uh, played an important role, both in terms of uh, contributing to avoid the escalation uh, and by sometimes mediating between the protesters and uh, the government. Now, democracy is, I think, uh, both a domestic business. Yeah? It requires to change our way of thinking, the work of our institutions. But it also is international business. Uh, yes, we don't need to uh, invent a, a wheel, as they say. You know, We can learn from the mistakes uh, and successes of democracies in the US and in Europe. And I think churches, the Catholic Church, the Protestant denominations, with a lot of links to uh, European and American universities, for example, Ukrainian Catholic University uh, has uh, good partnerships with universities all over uh, US with the Notre Dame, with Georgetown, uh, and others. Uh, the churches uh, participate in all sorts of ecumenical uh, bodies, in all sorts of inter-Catholic bodies. Uh, so, in a way, the churches, uh, especially Catholics and Protestants in Ukraine, uh, have been more international than most of Ukrainian society. And in this way, they've been able to uh, serve as a connection points to facilitate networking between uh, Christian laity in the West and in Ukraine. And I think it was also a step to, uh, to uh, promote uh, a democracy in Ukraine. Ukrainian Catholic University uh, in Lviv, although it is very small, it really plays a huge role in uh, uh, promoting the exchange between Ukraine and the West. And uh, even small initiatives, like initiatives of the Institute of Ecumenical Studies, uh, where I work, uh, of uh, different faculties uh, at this university, different other organizations linked to university, have a really a huge impact on Ukrainian society. So it's also a way in which, in which uh, by making reference to 
the Catholic experience of uh, education uh, to Catholic experience of building uh, civil society, of promoting justice, peace, uh, it has a huge impact. Let me give you an example. Uh, one of the initiatives of my uh, institute is called Ecumenical Social Week. So last year we had uh, Ecumenical Social uh, Week, uh, which was dedicated to the topic of sustainable development. And we had Cardinal uh, Michael Cherney, as a Canadian who is working in, in uh, the Vatican, who spoke to us. We had uh, people, scholars, uh, political observers, uh, activists from all over Europe and the US who attended. We had more than 1,000 uh, attendees. Two years ago, we dedicated uh, our week to uh, integral ecology. Uh, with Cardinal Turkson speaking to us and also with people, you know, from Haiti to uh, Kenya uh, uh, to Russia attending. So even small initiatives uh, make huge difference uh, in terms of uh, impact. So uh, I think it's very important uh, that any kind of support that uh, American Christians uh, can provide to Ukraine and to our institutions. And what are some of those um, ways that American Christians can be supportive in these days? In addition to some of those longer term institutional connections, uh, which are so great right now, I know people are just thinking, how, how can I be supportive? We're trying from where we are uh, in the world right now. What, what advice might you give them to our listeners? You know, there are several ways in which uh, I think uh, Ukraine can be helped today. Prayer. Uh, Ukraine is so small vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia. Uh, I think that uh, it's a case when only God, you know, can, can, can help us. Uh, the war is asymmetrical, so uh, uh, if God doesn't help us, we, we, we won't be able to win. Pray, pray for us, uh, uh, be in solidarity with us. Uh, the second uh, way of supporting us, I think, is political. Uh, we, we can have uh, you know, all sorts of humanitarian uh, interventions, but if Putin is not stopped, uh, Ukraine can be destroyed, uh, uh, Ukrainian Christians can suffer persecution. Uh, and we have experience of, uh, you know, Protestant communities, ca Catholic communities being, you know, uh, persecuted or having their life complicated. Yes, in Crimea, in uh, Donbass, uh, uh, and even uh, under pro-Russian governments. So Putin needs to be stopped. And I think political support uh, to Ukraine uh, talking to political institutions in, in North America, uh, asking them uh, to uh, help Ukraine politically uh, can be really a game changer. And we are very grateful for all the support for international solidarity. The third, I would say, uh, humanitarian aid. Uh, there are a lot of foundations uh, that are helping to provide humanitarian aid in Ukraine. 
uh, in North America, uh, there is a Kneva Foundation, for example, Catholic Narrow East Welfare Association, which is uh, uh, providing all sorts of uh, help. And there is a lot of need of help. Yes, there is humanitarian crisis in many cities. People don't have food. People uh, are migrating. Yes, there are thousands and perhaps around a million of refugees right now, people escaping from the east to go to the western Ukraine and the church, the Caritas, uh, parishes, dioceses are helping them, uh, both uh, while they are in Ukraine and then when they move to Poland. And here uh, I must say that the Polish uh, state, government and church has been of huge help uh, to our refugees. So any sort of humanitarian aid that uh, Kneva or Ukrainian uh, associations uh, uh, and churches are making in the US in order to help uh, our people in Ukraine uh, will be also very welcomed. As someone who, you, how long have you been now uh, researching in New York? I've been for a couple of months now. A couple of months. How have you been uh, coping with being uh, in New York uh, while this has been happening uh, at home? You know, uh, most of my time here is uh, meetings uh, uh, with my Ukrainian colleagues. So I wake up very early in the morning and have meetings in Ukraine. There are seven hours of difference. So uh, it's, uh, it's being in touch with my colleagues uh, supporting but also doing things yes i i believe that we also need to to have our voice heard the voice of ukrainian churches heard abroad and i think our institute is instrumental in this uh, and uh, i try to give uh, statements to respond to interviews to uh, keep in touch with ecumenical uh, partners uh, around the world so i don't see much of new york unfortunately um, is there is there anything else I haven't asked you about that you would want to make sure uh, to tell our listeners? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Do you think anything can be added? Because we need to have thirty minutes. Yes. Oh, any. I don't have a limit. It's your time. I want to make sure we uh, respect. So another story, which I think is, I find it very interesting, uh, and, and you can introduce somewhere to the section about the situation in which the churches in Ukraine find themselves, is that uh, I'm teaching uh, also at the uh, Ukrainian Catholic Seminary in uh, Kyiv, yes, in Ukrainian capital. Now, because of the bombardments, uh, the seminary has been evacuated and they uh, jokingly uh, call it the seminary in exile. So the seminarians who have their families in central uh, or eastern Ukraine have been moved to Lviv, to western Ukraine, and now they have joined uh, the faculty, the theology faculty and the seminary in Lviv. Uh, and uh, that's a challenge also for uh, the seminaries for educational institutions in Ukraine, you know, to find ways, how do you deal with, how, how does your teaching process look like or should look like in, in the moment of war? Uh, so a lot of uh, students and seminarians are volunteering, yes, in every way. But we also 
decided that we want to you know, teach them abstract things, we would engage with, to try to discover how theology, how Bible, church history, uh, I don't know, the doctrine of Trinity, you know, can really be our light in this uh, moment of darkness of war. And I think that our uh, professors, theology professors, our students are uh, reacting uh, marvelously in this extraordinary uh, moment. So pray for them uh, uh, also uh, sure. and, and, and think about that. As a theologian, are there any uh, elements of church teaching or history or scripture? Or I know, again, with the, the, the iconic East, you know, uh, we're, we're in the, the Western, the Latin Roman church, um, we are much more, we don't use uh, the icons, don't pray with icons as much as they would in um, the Ukrainian church. Um, are there anything for you that has provided consolation uh, from the from the faith tradition? I don't know how to answer that. So I'm I'm away, and I'm from what I'm uh, f seeing, uh, people uh, try to pray for our military and uh, the Orthodox tradition for good or for bad, or Oriental tradition for good or for bad has. Yes, this, uh, uh, this tradition of praying for the military, even during like uh, everyday liturgy. Uh, I think one of the challenges for theologians today uh, is uh, to find ways to speak about war and to, uh, and to describe uh, war. Uh, we haven't been prepared for this conflict. So, uh, and Ukraine as, as a young country, as the church that is coming out from persecution, yes, uh, 30 years ago, it's a, a challenge. So we, we, we are trying to rediscover Catholic social teaching, how you speak about the war, how you speak about the, uh, the uh, yes, use in Bellum, how do you act uh, uh, in war morally. Um, and I think this requires a lot of Ignatian discernment. Uh, we uh, are thinking about how to uh, speak about self-defense, how to uh, speak uh, about our enemy, which is not dehumanizing. Uh, I liked uh, this expression by the Metropolitan of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, who is very much linked to Russia, uh, Metropolitan Onufri, who said that what we see here is the repetition of the sin of Cain and Abel, yes? And I think there are two aspects for this, of this metaphor. The first is that they were brothers, and especially Ukrainian Orthodox of Moscow Patriarchate feel that they are being killed by their brother in Russia. But it also is deeper than that, just, you know, Ukrainian Orthodox and Russian Orthodox but being brothers. And I think we are humans. We are brothers in our humanity. Yes, and, and Pope Francis, uh, yes, with his encyclical, yes, Frontali Tutti, makes it very visible. Uh, I think the second point of this metaphor is that the churches have only theological language to speak about 
about the warfare. And I think we need to, uh, to be uh, correct here, you know, without demonizing our enemies uh, and, and, and trying to remain Christians uh, in love as well. Maybe just one uh, final question. You had mentioned earlier about uh, your your father as a, a priest um, and just what he is doing now or what your parents are, are doing. What, again, what are you hearing from them? So I tried to convince my parents, yes, to leave Ukraine and uh, many friends in different countries have offered help with that, but uh, especially my father refused. So right now uh, they... Uh, uh, they left uh, Ivano-Frankivsk, which is the city that has been bombarded, and find themselves in the mountains. And uh, uh, my father celebrates liturgies for uh, uh, a hotel in the mountains, in Ukrainian Carpathians, where the staff and, uh, and uh, the refugees that find themselves there have asked for prayers. So he celebrates uh, those refugees and, and, and supports them, uh, hoping that he can return home as soon as possible. Mm. Well, um, thank you so much, Pablo, for taking the time and know of uh, my prayers for you and for your family. Uh, and I just really appreciate your, your insight and in, in taking this time. I've just uh, been very helpful and I'm honored to be able to share your, your words with our listeners. Thank you very much, Mike. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>